0: And invite you to take your Bibles with me, uh, taking a break from uh, Genesis just for this week. Uh, and also next Sunday, uh, Jeff Matthias will be bringing the word since we'll be uh, at the conference all week. And I just wanted to give my full attention to what I'm being taught and learning. And, uh, and so Jeff has uh, agreed to uh, bring the word for us next Sunday. So look forward to that. Be in prayer for him. And also be in prayer for us as we are traveling, that we are uh, safe in our travels, but also edified greatly by uh, the preaching of the word that we'll hear at the conference. Uh, Our Bible text this morning I want to look at is Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. A brief section in the New Testament, Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 4. And we'll look at that together. And uh, while you're turning there, or after you turn there, I want to lead us in a prayer of preparation. I do this every time before I preach because I I understand and I hope you understand that uh, what's happening when a man gets up here to to preach the word is. Uh, we don't believe that we have any special power. The power is in the book that we're speaking from. The power is in the word of God. And uh, we want to be faithful, faithful to that text. And, uh, and as hearers, uh, my prayer for all of us is that we would have um, a sense of expectancy that God is actually going to speak to us. So we're going to pray to that end. So I invite you to join me. Father in heaven, As your word lies open before us, uh, we need something that a man cannot give. We need to hear from you. And I pray that indeed you would mediate that through a mere man. Because your word is living and active, because it is our daily bread, because your word is the words, are the words of eternal life. We need them. So I pray that you would give them to us. And Father, please, by your Spirit, do work among us that only you can do. The outcome of which, I pray, is the glory, Father, the glory of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus. And we pray all this in his name. Amen. Well, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through Did I say one through three? I mean one through four. Hear God's word. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This is God's word. Now, I hope you agree that it is not an overstatement to say that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, from the grave 2,000 years ago is the most pivotal event in all of human history. I hope you agree with that statement. Now, the primary reason that Jesus died and rose again from the grave is for him to be exalted and for all of creation to recognize who he is as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So that as a result of his death and resurrection and all that he accomplishes, that all creation would bow before him and confess that he is Lord. In fact, Philippians chapter 2 explains that. This is Jesus' humility that the Apostle Paul is describing here, but uh, an oft-quoted and read passage of Scripture. Following the explanation of how Jesus took on human flesh, humbled himself by becoming uh, obedient to death, the Apostle writes, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This morning, I want to explore what did Jesus accomplish for us? What Jesus accomplished was the very glory of his own name for his own sake. But for our sake, what did that glorification do? What was accomplished in Jesus' exaltation? What is the meaning of the resurrection of Jesus for us? And why indeed does it compel our worship and gratitude? And so from our, our Bible text that we read, uh, I, want to, I want to just look at four, four things. The fact of the resurrection. That's the first one I want to look at. Second, the demand of the resurrection. And then the power of the resurrection. And finally, the hope of the resurrection. Four words all related to the resurrection. The fact, the demand, the power, and the hope. So let's get right to it. And I'll uh, trust that the Lord by the Spirit, will apply these things to our minds and hearts. First of all, the fact of the resurrection. Now, one of the things that, that I do when I hear uh, you know, some kind of speech or a news report or a politician or really, in fact, anyone advocating for, for a particular idea or, in the case of government officials, a policy proposal, I listen. I listen carefully for how many times they use the phrase, in fact, in fact. I get the, the rhetorical utility of using that phrase. But I often think as I'm listening that what they really should be saying is in my opinion, not in fact. And we get this, right? There's so, there's so uh, such a very important difference between fact and opinion. Fact is something that is known or has been proved to be true, right? Things that are obvious about the nature itself, gravity, what goes up must come down. It's a fact. The freezing point of water, we get it. The, that it turns to gas when it's 100 Celsius. These are observable and, of course, repeatable facts. Now, there are other kinds of facts, of course, that, that may not be repeatable, but they can be established through a reliable eyewitness testimony. That's what, that, that's what court cases do. They establish facts through eyewitness testimony. Now, here in our passage, the Apostle Paul writes about not something in the realm of opinion, but something that is an essential, absolutely essential statement of fact. Verse 1 begins, if then, if then you have been raised with Christ, if then, it begins stating it as a really a condition. Now, what is conditional, I want to point out here, is not the resurrection of Jesus, but whether or not you may be included. But I take it, as well, that this is is rhetorical, simply implies agreement, in this case, in this verse, with two facts that he is assuming. So, stated this way, if it is true, and it is, here's what you need to know, if then you have been raised with Christ. If it is true, and it is, here's what you need to know. Now, the first fact, it's assumed, the first fact that Christ has been raised. Now, it's Resurrection Sunday. And we already did it, that traditional declaration. But I want to invite you to do it again. What is the traditional declaration? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. There it is, even on the screen to help you. Let's try it again. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Well, indeed means truly. Indeed means in fact. You've just declared something is factually true. Of course, the reason that we're here, and the only reason that we're here, is that we believe this fact. I hope that's true for you, that that's the reason you're here. Now, what what the apostle Paul here assumes in this passage, he establishes in in First Corinthians 15. I want to take you there, because when we're talking about the fact of the resurrection, which which you know in the news stories and you know what happens around this time of year, something's reported, and and the way that they talk about the story around Easter, around the resurrection is well, Christians believe that as if they're distancing themselves from this thing that they claim to be true. But we're here. And I trust you're here because you believe this to be an irrefutable fact. Now, the apostle Paul makes the case, 1 Corinthians 15, he says at the beginning of the chapter, verse 3, for I delivered to you as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to cephas and then to the 12 then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time most of whom are still alive though some have fallen asleep meaning died then he appeared to james then to all the apostles last of all as one untimely born he appeared also to me so that jesus was raised that he was he was crucified No historian disagrees with the fact that a man uh, named Jesus of Nazareth was crucified by Roman authorities and put in a tomb. Nobody disagrees with that. But that he was raised, the Apostle Paul is is asserting here. It's an established fact because, as he says in 1 Corinthians 15, there are two bodies of witnesses. And the first witness is is from 1 1 Corinthians 15 is the prophetic word of God that both predicted it, but also gives meaning to it. Christ died, that's the fact. For our sins, that's the meaning, according to the scriptures. Now, I'm not going to go through a a litany of all of the scriptures that predicted it. You can do that. You can look that up. But it's established fact because it was predicted in the scriptures. And apart from Jesus' perfect sacrifice, God's wrath would remain on us. So it was an essential truth, and it had to happen, as it says in Romans 4. He was delivered up for our trespasses, that's our sins, and raised for our justification. So that's the first witness, the scripture. But the second witness the apostle Paul provides is the, that the fact of the resurrection, that there were eyewitnesses to, the, to that. They saw Jesus after his burial, after he was raised. He showed himself, and Paul says, to Cephas, that's Peter, the twelve 500 brothers, most of whom were still alive at the time of Paul's writing this. And then Paul includes uh, Jesus' uh, half brother, who was initially a skeptic, James, all the apostles he includes, and then Paul himself. Now, to try to fabricate some kind of story and get more than 500 people to agree on it, that's just, that's just not, not possible. Somebody would break, somebody would collapse. It's a fact. Now, I hope, I hope you're in this position, Christian. Believe this. Believe this. It's an essential article of our faith. We cannot trade this away. Now, understand that, that our faith in this reality is not blind faith. It's not true. We don't want to sentimentalize it. It's not true because it feels true or that we want it to be true. It's not my truth, as is often said today, as if it only applies to me. It's not merely opinion. It is the fact that Jesus being raised is a universal truth that everyone in creation will eventually declare. I stated this. It says this in Philippians 2. And get this. And there are people who claim to be Christian who will deny this to be the case. If you deny the truth that Jesus was raised from the grave, you cannot be saved. If you deny that fact, you cannot be saved eternal salvation will will pass you over. Romans 10, 9. In fact, the Bible even goes further. If you deny this truth, you are an antichrist. There's no way to get around that. And so don't get wobbly on this, Christian. Don't get wobbly. I assure you, if you lose confidence in the resurrection of Jesus from the grave, your faith will eventually collapse. And this has been proven time and time again with several high-profile so-called, I say so-called, Christians who have deconstructed their faith. It's tragic, but they get wobbly on this. Now, the second fact, so Jesus Christ has been raised, it's a fact. But the second fact, which depends on the first, you have been raised with Christ So, in what sense is someone raised with Christ? Now, later in 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul will will describe how uh, ultimately all who are believers in Jesus will be raised bodily. That is to say, we will have a resurrection body like his. That body will be incorruptible, unkillable, glorified. But that physical resurrection is not yet. Paul does not have that in view in this passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians. Uh, I'm sorry, in Colossians 1. Sorry, in Colossians 3. He doesn't have that resurrection in view. Why? We we, we feel this, right? We prayed for those among us who are sick. And and we feel this. Our bodies get sick, and sooner or later, we die. We've all been to funerals of loved ones. It's a reality. So we have to understand that this idea of having been raised, you have been raised, That's got to be a spiritual reality today. And so it follows then, if you have been raised, then you were once spiritually dead. This is what Ephesians chapter 2 says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. He's talking about a spiritual deadness. You once walked in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, you were dead. So love for fleshly indulgences, your sin and rebellion against God, that's evidence that you are spiritually dead. And let me just say this to you, if you're sitting here this morning and you love indulging the flesh and you have no desire to turn away from that, Probably a good indication that you are spiritually dead. I know that's harsh. That's what the Bible says. You were dead, he's speaking, but Jesus' resurrection now includes you. You've been raised with Christ. And you've been raised with Christ by faith, by believing. And and this faith has particulars around it, right? It's faith in Christ, who is the eternal, sinless Son of God, trusting That his death, that brutal death on the cross, was vicarious, which means in your place. So, that his death ultimately paid the penalty for your sins. Believing that Christ, having been crucified and laid in a tomb, was raised to life bodily. And that he has, in fact, ascended to heaven, where he now is at the Father's right hand, interceding for his own. You've been raised to life, if you've believed that. Now, how did this spiritual resurrection happen? Well, it must be stated, you didn't do it. You didn't raise yourself. You could not make it happen. And I will say this as well. It's not because, primarily, you chose to believe. Jesus talked about this spiritual birth, He was talking with a a religious ruler in his day, Nicodemus, who came to him with questions. Jesus said to him, you must be born again, born again. John's gospel, his introduction of Jesus, he described there those who are given the right to become children of God, given, right? That they are, John 1, 12, born, not of blood. And get this, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God, born of God. It's a divine act. And Paul in 2 Corinthians um, describes this, this new reality in 2 Corinthians 5. You've heard this verse, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. New creation. The same way that God spoke the universe into existence. You... Having believed is a new creation. It is a divine act. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave is a fact. And if you have believed it, it is evidence that you have been made spiritually alive. But that also means, it also means, and this is tragic, that if you don't believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose again, if you don't believe it, you're spiritually dead. Now, you may be walking, talking, living the full, full extent of your opportunities and energies. You may be doing that. But you are the walking dead. You are headed to hell. You are a spiritual zombie. So listen. Listen to Jesus' words paraphrased. And I realize I'm, I'm saying this with, with great emphasis and it might be offending you to the core. But when I said at the beginning, the resurrection of Jesus is the pivotal event in human history. And that means it meets you where you are. So hear Jesus' words. and am slightly paraphrase. This is eternal life. That you know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. The fact of the resurrection the fact of you having been raised with Christ if you have believed. Second, the demand of the resurrection. Um, for some time, we have been asking you, church family, to be praying for new people to work in our, our child care ministry. And one of the reasons it's, it's really difficult for us to find workers is because we only hire Christian workers. And to that end, whenever somebody applies we have this employment policy. They need to sit with me and go through the policy. And as I review the policy with them, I tell them that there are two parts to the policy. First, there is the doctrine. We ask them to agree to it. That's the, the, what you believe. But the second part is the personal lifestyle and morality standards. That's the second part of it, which we ask them to hold to. And that really amounts to, this is how I behave. And I tell them, I tell them, The two parts are very much connected. What you believe should always inform how you behave. Now, we're not perfect at it, but what you believe ultimately informs how you behave. And how you behave is going to be informed by what occupies your mind. The kinds of motivations and priorities you have. And that's what's in view here in our text. If it is true that you have been raised with Christ, if it is true that you have been made spiritually alive, that demands something of you. Verse two continues. Seek things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Do you hear the imperative? That's the demand to seek Things that are above. To set your mind is to to feed your mind, to make your priority, your motivation, your hopes, order your life on things above. So, of course, it begs the question, what are these things specifically? Well, from the text, we can see that they are contrasted with things that are on earth. And this contrast really implies ultimate priorities. To to seek the things that are above is is to put Christ first in all things. And, And doing that is going to inform what you should and should not do. So stated plainly, seeking the things that are above means that you must renounce, Bible word, repent of, and dispense with with anything that is clearly sinful, any thought or action driven by lust, greed, and pride. Now, if you just you just put all of the things at your motivations and and see how they measure up to lust, greed, or pride. And if and if somehow that's behind the thing you're doing, you can put it in the box. That's called sin. Even good things, even seemingly innocuous things, working a job, earning money. If it's motivated by greed, sin. I'm not saying quit your job, but change your motivations, right? Well, you can't do that. We'll get to that in a second. Well, that's what's in view here. It's the motivations and priorities. And if it is true that you have been raised with Christ, if it is true that you have been made spiritually alive, that demands something of you. So that's what we talked about. So we set our mind on things above by filling up with God's word. Now you're here this morning, you're listening to Bible being preached and we prayed that God would speak his word to us, right? Hebrews 4.12 talks about the word of God being living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 talks about the profitability, the usefulness of God's word. It, is, it helps us. It's useful for, for training us and it rebukes us. It corrects us. And every good thing that God wants us to do, it equips us for that. We fill up, we set our minds on things above by, by gathering like this. We gather for, with the church for worship and fellowship. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 talks about not neglecting to meet together. That's why we, we, we make such a priority of saying, hey, you got to be here. Being with God's people makes God's word stick. It's a supernatural thing because the Bible says, stirring up one another to love and good works. And I know this to be true. You can, you can superdose on all kinds of preaching and, and Bible studies. But you know what? It's hard. It's very hard to apply it in your life unless you've got people around you saying, yeah, go that way or don't go that way. Our lives need to be flushed out. I have this habit. I put some coffee in my mug and I don't drink the whole thing and then I leave it on my desk it's in the office. I cleaned them out this morning, but, but often they'll sit there for a long time, and it kind of dries out, gets cakey, and really gross, and sometimes it gets some green stuff on it. It's really rather ugly. Now, sometimes Terry feels pity on me, and she'll pick up my mug and say, that's enough, I'm cleaning it. But I don't expect her to do that. But the point is, I, I, I leave it there. And, you know, the way in which I clean it out when I do it myself, I just turn on the hot water in the bathroom and let it run, just forcing water into it. And eventually it displaces that gunk coffee and and cleans it up. Well, the word of God is like that to us. We're naturally inclined to the vile things. And we're honest with ourselves, right? The things that that cross our minds, we'd never want anybody to know, but God knows. And the only thing that's going to flush that out is setting your mind in things above. If I don't get the word of God, Routinely, reading it, hearing it taught like it did this morning in Sunday school, studying it with others, hearing it preached, if I don't get the Word of God, my mind will increasingly be occupied with vile things. I constantly need the inflow of the Word of God, and you do too. Now, to set our minds and things above does not mean you should not be thinking about filling the car up with gas or getting enough sleep or exercise or paying the bills or, or getting to work on time. You know, he talks about not unearthly things. It doesn't mean we shouldn't be thinking about, you know, taking your wife out to dinner or, or getting the kids signed up for soccer, Whatever. We can and and should live in this world and enjoy the good things that God has given to us while we seek to fulfill the the universal human mission that, that the Lord gave to all mankind, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We should enjoy the good gifts that God has given to us. But those everyday things can be transformed by not doing them for lust, greed, and pride, but ultimately for the glory of God. Set your mind and things above transforms everything else you do. So let me ask you, are you seeking the things that are above? Again, I challenge you lay everything before God and evaluate your life through that lens. The demand of the resurrection. Third, I want to look at the power of the resurrection. I was thinking how it would be, and again, I like stories about time travel and things like that, how how bewildering it would be for for someone, say, from the 16th century to be transported into the 21st century. All of the things that would just absolutely alarm them. But but just think of the simple reality of of electric power, how we we access it with such simple ease. So imagine you're the the, the 16th century person, right? You, You see someone take what looks like a rope with a couple prongs on it and, and put it in this receptacle in the wall. And suddenly, the lantern lights without fire. A motor, oh, what's a motor? Roars to life. Heat immediately fills the room, right? Well, we get it. The simple and obvious reality is that none of these things work without a power source. When that device, the heater, the motor, the light, when that device is... Connected to the power source, it accomplishes amazing things. Simple illustration, we get it. Well, verse 3 of our text says, Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Again, from the beginning, Then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind in things above, not in the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Christ has been raised, and by faith you have been raised with him. And that truth demands that we set our mind on things above. Why? For you were once dead. and You you could also say, because you were dead, but you are now alive. You are alive because your life is hidden with Christ and God. Let to see the logic of that. You've been raised with Christ. You were dead, now you're alive. And you're alive because your life is hidden with Christ and God. Again, it's a supernatural act. Now, hidden with Christ is another way of saying united with Christ. So so here's the effect of that truth. So listen to this statement. Being united with Christ gives us power because of our position in Christ. Let me say that again. Being united with Christ gives us power in the present, because of our position in Christ. So for all who believe, for all who, who believe the resurrection of Jesus from the grave, that's not a passive fact. It's not passive, not just information. Because as a result of it, by faith you have been united with Christ. And what that union with Christ does, it gives you a position, which is in Christ. Don't underestimate the value of when you see through the New Testament in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. That's our position for all who believe in Christ. Again, from 2 Corinthians 5.21, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. So if your life is hidden with Christ, what does God see when he looks at you? Does he see a sinner? No. He sees the perfection of Jesus. If your life is hidden with Christ, God doesn't see a sinner. He sees the perfection of Jesus. Does he see weakness? No, he sees the strength of the Son of God. Now, of course, the Father is not blind to our struggles, but he regards you as he regards his Son. If you are in Christ, that's your Position. That's what was accomplished at the cross. Because he counted his son as cursed for your sin in your place, right? He now counts you as righteous because of Christ. A fancy term for that in theological language is double imputation. Jesus' righteousness has been imputed, credited to me. My sin has been imputed, credited to Jesus. And with that position, with that position, he gives you the very power that raised Jesus from the grave. And he gives that to you in the present. Now we recited this verse together. Listen again. If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. That is a glorious truth. I hope you see its value. The Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the grave by grace now dwells in you, empowering what you could never do on your own. Just think about that. The Spirit of Christ who raised Spirit of God who raised Christ from the grave dwells in you, empowering you to do what you could never do on your own. I said earlier, you can't fix yourself, but God can. God can change you. This is why the Apostle Paul writes in, in Philippians, he says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. He so says, I'm not righteous because I can keep the letter of the law. No. But that which comes, it's the righteousness, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God depends on faith, believing. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Think about that. The power of his resurrection means you have the power to love God, heart, soul, and mind. You have that power. That's been given to you in Christ because you're united with him. You have that, the power to love your neighbor as yourself. You have the power to avoid temptation and sin. You have the power to love your enemy and to pray for those that persecute you. You have that power. You have access to God's wisdom. You have the power to endure hardship and suffering and be a witness even unto death. You have that power. You have the power to do all that God's word calls you to. You have that power. Now, I get it. We don't do that perfectly. None of us do. But if you're in Christ today, hopefully you can see the trajectory of your life, the things that you once struggled with when you first came to believe. You have some mastery over those things. And by the spirit of God indwelling you and the word of God being applied to you over time, You're leaving those things behind as you set your mind on things above where Christ is. Now, if you're brand new in the faith, know this. What you are today is not what you will be tomorrow. Be sure of this. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He will not stop. So if you're a true believer in Jesus, your life is going to confirm this having made, been made spiritually alive, you're going to feed your mind and things above. And the Holy Spirit takes the word of God and then progressively transforms you into someone who actually behaves in a way that is oriented towards eternal life. Let me ask you, do you have that power? Do you know you have that power? It states it. You've been raised with Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. Well, finally, I want to talk about the hope of the resurrection. Now, when people, if asked about their expectations for for life beyond the grave, most people will express some measure of hope that they will be in a better place. Of course, when people say the word hope, we, we have to unpack what that is. What is hope? A lot of people use the word in, in a way that they're saying is that, like, I don't know for sure, but I'd like to think. That's sort of hope. See, if it depends on them, it's like anything that we do, right? If if my wife asks me to pick up something from the grocery store on my way home from work, I can say, yeah, yeah I'll do that. And But honestly, I'm thinking, well, I hope to be able to get to that. Now, my, my intention is there, but something could stop me, right? I I'm not in full control of the universe. I can't prevent a car accident or my car breaking down. I can do all I can do, but in the end, I'm not in ultimate control. But there's a kind of hope that is eternal. See, if, you have your, your, if you've been raised with Christ, you have this different kind of hope, and it continues, uh, and we see this continuing in verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So understand this. This isn't wishful thinking about a preferred future. That's not what this is. This is a certainty secured by the very declaration of God's word. And why? Because Christ is your life. You will not be denied eternal life because if you have been raised with Christ, you are united with Christ and Christ is your life. And because Christ is eternal, you are in Christ, so is your life. It's logical. If Christ is eternal, if you are in Christ, therefore you have that too. And Jesus prayed this in the company of his disciples, expressing this to the Father, John 17 but also I think for the benefit of the disciples in the teaching moment. He said to the Father, this is eternal life, and I paraphrased this earlier, but here's here's the text, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. John, the apostle, uh, repeated this truth in his first letter. Says, God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. So, Our focus, brothers and sisters in Christ, our focus on the resurrection of Jesus from the grave should give us hope. Not a maybe preferred future, but an absolute certainty of a God's word clad, absolute will happen reality. That should give us hope. And we need this hope. We need this hope for the trouble that we We live and for the trouble we see, right? And I know some here are suffering incurable disease. Some here are quietly enduring emotional pain, anxiety, loneliness. Life is hard and you feel it. So, what's the answer to that human suffering? The answer is the hope of the resurrection. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. Hear this. Acknowledging the difficulty of life. He says, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Now, what he says next, you might know what's coming. But understand the Apostle Paul's life. He had been stoned, left for dead, He'd been beaten within an inch of his life by whips. He'd been shipwrecked day and the night in the sea. He ent- endured all kinds of difficulties. He had a thorn in the flesh that he begged God to take away. He says, for this light momentary affliction, light momentary affliction. If we had to live that, we'd be going, I, I, enough. Enough. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. The things that are unseen, those are eternal. That's personally. I know the world around us doesn't seem very hopeful either, does it? Natural disasters, floods, hurricanes, tornadoes, wildfires, we see it in the news all the time, and some of you have been touched by those things. But then, beyond the natural disasters, the, the intentional evil of men, crime, murders, just the war in Ukraine, we, we get the news updates every single day, and we wonder, will it spill beyond Europe? Beyond that, there's the moral decay the things that are, are, are stated as true in the word of God are, are undermined by the world around us as if it is false. And then siding with these things in the word of God, we are, we are demeaned as haters and bigots. <clears throat> what is right by God's standard is called evil. And there's persecution, whether those are insults or, or economic ostracization or other people in other parts of the world, the threat of beatings and death. What's the answer? Well, the answer to this is the hope of the resurrection. The world could literally collapse around us, and we still have the hope of the resurrection. Everything that you have could be taken away. We still have the hope of the resurrection. Your body could waste away, and you still have the hope of the resurrection. I don't want that. You don't want that either. But we could hold on because of the resurrection. Romans 8, Apostle Paul again. I get a sense he thought a lot about the resurrection of Jesus. He said, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Then he explains about creation For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God for the creation was subjected to futility not willingly but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption we cause that and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of god that's us for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now and not only the creation but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we are saved. Right now, right now, you are united with Christ spiritually. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're united with Christ spiritually. When when Christ appears, we, we, the collective of his people, his bride will be united with him bodily. That's the hope of the resurrection. So whatever happens today, and things aren't so bad, we've got inflation. War hasn't come here yet. But when things get bad, you have the hope of the resurrection. So let me ask you this morning, is Christ your life? Is Christ your life? Don't Don't leave today until you settle the matter. The fact of Jesus' resurrection, if you believe it, you have been made alive and you are united with Him. And the demand of the resurrection of Jesus from the grave, if you are united with Him, then feed your mind on things above. And because of the power of the resurrection, If you have set your minds on things above where Christ is, the Holy Spirit empowers you to think and behave like someone who is living to honor God. And finally, the hope of the resurrection. If you've been raised with Christ, then you can endure hardship and suffering and disappointment and persecution because your mind is set on things above and because you know that Christ is your eternal reward. And I trust, I trust that Christ is your life today. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you said, I am the resurrection and the life. Father, thank you. Thank you for opening our eyes to your son, our savior, crucified and raised. Thank you for the victory over sin that is now ours. Thank you for the position that you have given us in your son to be counted righteous in your sight. Father, thank you for the power to live in this present age, clinging to the hope that one day the Lord Jesus will return. Father, we pray, keep us faithful to that day because Christ is our life. Father, all glory belongs to you and to your Son. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.